Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, a very brief uh, couple of words from me because you're here to hear from our key keynote speaker. Um, welcome to the Sustainability Learning Theatre. Um, my name's Ian Bottrell. I'm Division President of JLL. Um, and a little plug for JLL. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that, that we take a lot of pride in taking a responsible and sensible approach uh, and a sustainable approach in all that we do and working to shape real, real estate. Um, so we're very pleased to, and proud to sponsor Sustainability Learning Theatre. Um, and now it's my pleasure uh, to introduce Eric Malmstrom, who is the CEO of Safe Traces, Safe Traces Inc., uh, who will be speaking with us today on sustainable indoor air quality, bridging the gap between energy and health. Over to you, Eric. Thank you so much, Ian. And uh, good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully I have not caught you on your post-lunch lull. Uh, I'll try to keep you awake here, but you should have a cup of coffee just in case. Um, very excited. Uh, t today I'm going to be talking to you about sustainable indoor air quality and, and really uh, an issue that goes beyond sustainability to people's health and wellness and maybe in ways that uh, people don't always realize the connection between the two. So the objectives for today are, number one, to uh, share with you a new framework for thinking about sustainable indoor air quality as applied to corporate real estate, where uh, my company, Safe Traces, does a lot of work. Secondly, to get practical about how, uh, how corporate uh, real estate owners and operators can develop portfolio-level strategies and talking about specific use cases on how this concept and framework could be applicable. And then third, talking about what's the ROI, because that's where the rubber is going to meet the road. And we define that in three main ways. One is health, uh, two is financial and, and the dollars and dollars spent, and third is uh, sustainability is defined as energy efficiency and carbon reduction. So to set the scene, um, wh why this matters, I'm going to start off with a quote from the former chief medical officer at Amazon, uh, Dr. Vin Gupta who says, uh, and this is at the end of last year, he says, air quality will be the biggest challenge for public and, and workspaces of this century. However, HVAC system improvements are not only cost-effective when measured by long-term productivity gains, but are good for workforce retention, a significant issue amid a tight labor market, and health and safety concerns among many Americans about returning to physical workplaces. So here we are in... November 2022, over a year later, and we are still grappling with this challenge in a major way, and we will continue to grapple with this challenge. But it is a challenge in three parts. So part one, sustainability. Who cares about indoor air quality? What does that have to do with sustainability? Well, because real estate uh, uh, defined as building materials and operations, represent 40% of global carbon emissions. Out of that 40%, a third of that is attributable to the HVAC systems within buildings. And uh, importantly, the common ways that people are pursuing indoor air quality as a strategy in many buildings, particularly in office buildings, are to crank up the outdoor air, bring in more, quote, fresh air, and that's, that's going to reduce the risk of people getting sick. Well, what's the cost of that? You're going to be paying, a, uh, in some cases, over 30% cost 
energy and carbon penalty with those types of strategies, with a question mark of is it actually making the space safer? So um, challenge part two, indoor air quality. M much of this risk, over half of it, according to NIOSH, which is part of uh, the US government as safety body, says that 52% of indoor air quality risk is attributable to inadequate ventilation uh, in dollars. This leads to a $750 uh, per employee annual productivity loss from respiratory illnesses. Importantly, not COVID. This is a pre-COVID number. So that number surely has gone up over the past couple years. And uh, it also has led to, by uh, estimates from the Brookings Institution, 4 million estimated individuals out of the US workforce due to long COVID, which is about one in four COVID infections. And just to freak you out a little bit more, just from the New York Times last week, we're hearing about this thing called the triple-demic. What's the triple-demic? Well, it's COVID is the third leg of that uh, triple-demic, but you also have flu and RSV, um, which are really spiking in many parts of the country. And this is problematic because we're not even in the peak season right now. We're just getting started, and we've already seen what happened in uh, southern hemisphere countries like Australia, Europe, which tends to be about a month ahead of us for what's going to start hitting us. And uh, people's immune systems are much weaker for other respiratory viruses, not COVID, um, due to they haven't been as exposed as much in many parts of the country. All right, so the third part of the challenge is trust. Uh, Multinational CEOs want their employees back in the office, old school style, Monday through Friday, nine to five, 65% according to a KPMG recent uh, survey. So bosses want the employees back. Well, guess what? Employees have 90% concerns about uh, the health and safety of their work environment. To be clear, that is one of many challenges regarding people back to the workplace, um, and those range from hybrid work and people liking convenience. But safety is a legitimate concern, and they have rights to be concerned. And so what does that meant? Well, in many metro areas in the US over the past couple years, while these numbers are starting to tick up, um, we've been at sub 40% physical occupancy levels in many buildings. And I think many of us who uh, work it, uh, it, with employers who have uh, kind of gone anywhere from full remote to now starting to come back can attest to going into buildings where they're far less occupied than they were prior to COVID. And this is still a huge challenge. So. Where we come into this, Safe Traces is a Bay Area-based biotechnology company that is a leader and pioneer in sustainable indoor air quality. We have developed a tracer technology where we can safely simulate uh, respiratory aerosols and things like COVID and the flu. We do it with water and then a safe food-grade substance, and we use it as a way to performance check uh, HVAC systems in buildings. And you kind of simulate sick person in the conference room, in the school classroom, and other parts of a building, and then you see how long does it take for those particles to get removed from the air and protect people from the exposure? And then, importantly, how can you get those particles out of the air, not only effectively, but cost and energy efficiently? Um, because, as I mentioned before, if you just crank up the outdoor air, then you're paying a huge penalty for that, and that's not financially sustainable in addition to being environmentally not sustainable. We also offer the first 
actual um, independent science-based verification mark with our partner Underwriters Laboratory, UL, which is based in this area, but a global safety science company, which is a way of putting something like uh, a food hygiene certificate uh, that you see in restaurants, uh, ABC, you know, something that the public can see when they walk into a building to say, the ventilation system has been checked independently and is meeting a certain safety bar. And there's nothing else in the market out there like that. There should be, but we have the first thing. And that's a way uh, that uh, not only are we checking systems, but then you're addressing the trust deficit by allowing the landlord or the building owner to communicate to people, hey, we've checked it. And you can see it, and we stand behind this. Uh, we work widely across the built environment. So uh, my focus today will be corporate real estate, given we're here at Cornet. But we also work in uh, in uh, higher ed, K through 12, mass transit, prisons, uh, hospitals, all sorts of environments. And we work with uh, our partners in the engineering, safety, and facilities communities. Our commissioning process consists of four basic steps. You do a desktop audit to see, on paper, how should the building be performing from a ventilation and filtration perspective, and what was it designed to? And then we do a real-world check to challenge the system with our aerosol tracers to see how the, the building is performing in the real world. We generate a bunch of data on that at the building level and then across portfolios to see how buildings are performing and what the delta is between design versus performance, and that provides data to then help the owners and operators manage the spaces and whether certain spaces are good to go, others have problems and need to be addressed, um, we help guide that with data. And then we provide this UL verified ventilation and filtration mark at the end of this as a communication tool and a, a seal of good housekeeping to communicate to employees, to tenants, and to others. This, this got kind of messed up, so sorry, but you know the three main values of this are health and safety, reduce the risk of people being exposed and getting sick, um, also uh, complying with evolving regulatory and code requirements, secondly, helping spend money uh, more efficiently and appropriately, so there's the productivity side of things, of reducing absenteeism and shutdowns. There's also uh, this looming issue of healthcare costs and insurance premiums and people getting sick and uh, and then how that is hitting the employer on their group health plans and other categories of insurance. And then it's spending the hard dollars on the buildings and the HVAC systems and other air cleaning technologies. Finally, um, on, from a sustainability standpoint, we find that there's huge opportunities to reduce energy and carbon penalties associated with uh, common indoor air quality strategies because people People are doing things that aren't showing a benefit. They're cranking up the outdoor air. That's not showing a measurable benefit, but you're paying a penalty for that. We try to reduce that, those penalties, and get them to zero, ideally. But beyond uh, that, we also are helping with ESG reporting and then backing uh, public commitments that companies are making to uh, health and safety, to uh, sustainability, and avoiding the greenwashing criticisms that are coming at many corporates on, on, on this front. 
So just to bring this to life a little bit, um, I'm going to take a, a Fortune 100 company that has hundreds of buildings and that we've worked with very closely over the past couple years. And the idea of what we're doing is going into a number of their facilities and doing testing where we go into high density areas of the building, release tracers, and often testing it under two scenarios. Whatever you were doing prior to COVID and now what you're doing with COVID or, or you know, for the other airborne viruses. And we see, is that providing a benefit and how do the different sites compare against each other? And then within a site, testing different areas of the building to say, well, are we, how are we performing in the conference room versus the training room versus ambulatory care? And we put a performance bar out there, this 99% line. And if you're above the line, Good. You, you have achieved a, a, a rigorous independent safety bar, and that's good. Um, if you haven't, that's an indication of an issue that needs to be addressed. But also, importantly, uh, if you're too far above the bar, um, then you may have an opportunity to dial it back a little bit, and where uh, you don't need to be eating the cost, energy, and, uh, and carbon penalties associated with what you're doing, and you kind of right-size your strategy. Um, we find in many Class A office buildings, buildings and mo more modern buildings, they are overventilating the spaces. And so there's a big opportunity to back it off. Now, that is not the case for many other types of buildings. Um, but now to just put this more into a sustainability kind of uh, context, we run analysis both before and after we test on if you run your buildings at different outdoor air fractions where a lot of the penalties are coming from, what would be the energy uh, savings, what would be the cost savings, and then what would be the carbon emission savings. And in this case, this is sh these graphs are showing um, if you're running the outdoor air at 50% versus and 30%, how much would you save if you're able to safely dial it down to 10%? And the numbers are meaningful. Um, just on a single building, this is a more industrial facility, about a million square foot in the uh, upper Midwest, where you have a four-season climate and where you're heating and cooling air. Uh, if you're bringing in 50% outdoor air, which is a lot, and you drop it down to 10%, you could save 4 million kilowatt hours. You could save uh, a quarter million bucks on your utility bill, and you could save... Uh, nearly 2 million uh, tons of, of carbon. So for, at, at an enterprise level, for that customer I mentioned has lots of buildings, what does this mean to them? Well, according to their analysis, when we found all these inefficiencies in what they were doing, they were able to achieve $50 million in annualized cost savings by having a more targeted energy consumption and not eating the uh, service and maintenance costs. They were able to... Uh, identify and realize nearly 80 million uh, kilowatt hours of uh, energy savings through targeted ventilation and filtration. And so, so just those two things are the facility sale. The human side, where the real value of this is playing out right now. And if you look at the analysis from uh, the likes of JLL, who has a framework 330, 300 on 3% of your energy is worth 30%, or sorry, 3% on your utility is worth 30% to your um, leasing rate is worth 300 to the actual people, you're talking about orders of magnitude more savings through productivity that you're getting back or not losing, retention of your, your team, healthcare, uh, and having a healthy 
to your staff and not paying the health care and insurance costs. So, you know, we'll still see where this is, but the likelihood is that those dollar savings are significantly greater than how this pays itself back on the, the uh, energy side. So just to close out, one, one, uh, one thought here is that we co-authored a paper with a number of other uh, indoor air quality and energy efficiency tech companies whose logos are on the top of the slide. Um, and we, the, the paper, which was released in August and which you can find online, is called The Clean First Framework, How to Achieve Sustainable Indoor Air Quality. And the idea here is that there are four basic steps. Number one, you set targets and you have goals that you're trying to achieve. Very basic. Many people don't even uh, do step one. But then step two is starting with how can we cost and energy efficiently achieve our indoor air quality, not ventilating first, but cleaning first, using filtration and disinfection and other ways that are more cost and energy efficient than ventilation. The third is then supplementing with ventilation, um, which is effective, but you don't want to be doing it as the primary prong of your strategy. And then fourth, and where we come in, is validating, monitoring, and controlling, and having a way of not just setting these goals and then installing this stuff and then you're done with it, but having an ongoing performance management plan. And as uh, the, the quote here demonstrates from uh, Bill Bonfleth, who's a professor at Penn State in architectural engineering, he's head of the ASHRAE uh, Epidemic Task Force, ASHRAE is the governing body for the HVAC industry, and he's one of our technical advisors, he says it really well, to create high IAQ, low energy, climate resilient buildings for the future, we need to embrace alternatives to out outdoor air ventilation to maintain healthy indoor environments. And then says this, this uh, white paper lays out a great framework to think about that. So finally, the last piece, which is step five, is communicating to normal people who are walking into buildings, similar to the restaurant grades, that you can see a sticker and you are not walking into a black box. You are not walking into the unknown, taking someone's word for it. You can see as you walk in that this building has been tested and you don't need to go to the engineering guy to say, what have you done? And you're getting a bunch of technical jargon that you don't understand or you're getting fluff saying, yeah, it's safe, don't worry about it. You're actually putting a real independent science-based seal on the building. And that's what we're doing uh, with many, many companies, including Goldman Sachs, who we just recently announced that one of their buildings had gone through this program and more will be coming. But um, we think that air quality is not only a sustainability issue, but it's also something that is intimately connected to people's health and wellness and to having a, a healthy and productive workforce. So um, that's it. Uh, we're at booth 527. My team is on the outer uh, fringes here, Caroline and, and Jim uh, Vincent. And then we also have some of our partners, including Sterling up here, who we work with closely. So um, uh, you have our, our URL up here, and then you have my email address, which is simple, eric, E-R-I-K, at safetraces.com. Uh, I welcome your questions and feedback, and thank you so much for your, for your time. That is, that is reasonably important is how the Safe Traces technology compares to the calculations and computations of the way it's done now to determine how many air changes per hour or what indoor air quality levels we could be looking at. Uh, so that's a great question, thanks. The, the, the calculations, uh, 
So there's kind of the status quo calculations, which are used primarily not for health and safety, but they're used for mechanical performance, for um, energy efficiency. They're, they're more engineering-centric. Um, COVID has spawned a whole new uh, kind of thinking regarding those calculations of how are we reducing uh, exposure to contaminants. And so we kind of adopt that, the, the health and safety focused metric um, for what we do. And we say, okay, we know on paper the building has been designed to this. So let's get that number and then let's test the real world because we know it's not going to be exactly the same. The question is, is it close or is it way apart? And if it's close, who cares? It's fine. If it's far apart, then that's an indication of a problem. And anyone who knows buildings knows that design does not equal performance. And especially as the building gets older, the systems get worn down, those numbers are very likely to be not only not the same, but they may be an order of magnitude off. And so you got to get a handle on that. And for what we're testing, we're really the only challenge method. You can use other things like carbon dioxide and other, other um, kind of applied ways of testing the building, but using an aerosol is important because that's the stuff that's getting us sick. You can't use a gas to test someone coughing up a droplet or an aerosol. So, you know, we give you a more accurate measurement. Thanks. Um, how widely adopted are the UL certifications that you guys are doing, and are you doing any of this work outside of the states? We, we launched the UL uh, verification mark in March, so it's this year. Um, it was building on the back of years of research and work, but it's still relatively new. Um, we've been, uh, over the, the subsequent months, so the past six months, we've been taking the first set of buildings through the program, and now we're getting to the first announcements, like literally in the past couple weeks. Um, so say right now, we're in the kind of realm of dozens, but we're being selective of who we're working with and wanting to have kind of really good, good quality customers who make sense and are, who are aligned with what we're doing and then building from there. Uh, right now, we're largely focused on the US, but with a plan to expand internationally into next year. And I'd say, just to, to uh, add to that response, in many ways, the US is the worst market to be launching. I mean, maybe not worse relative to others, but unfortunately, people are, have a pretty high tolerance for getting sick here. There's light regulation and standards relative to Europe, to East Asia, to other markets where they do care. They've lived through SARS and other, other respiratory illnesses and pandemics. So we think that the opportunity abroad is even greater. Just we're a US-based company, so it's kind of natural for us to start here. Once you've gone into the buildings and you've um, checked everything and got the procedures in place and you've presented the certificates and the plaque, how often do you go back on a regular basis to maintain that standard? That's a great question. So. Um, uh, the, the UL mark is annual, so you need to do it once a year, and you don't get it for life, but we're also not checking every day. Um, in some ways, annually is not enough, but there's just a certain reality that the market can bear, and also where it makes sense to um, send people in all the time. But we're not the only 
thing that you can do to stay on top of the situation. And we work closely with uh, indoor air quality sensor companies, IoT platforms. I mean, you really need to have a systems approach where we're the kind of point in time audit of the building, and that needs to be done at some frequency, but we're not real-time continuous monitoring. And that's where sensors are really good um, because they're, they're not just, we're very focused on pathogens, but then they're testing for other indoor air quality contaminants like CO2 and um, uh, VOCs, volatile organic compounds, and particulate levels. So I think we're, we view what we're doing as addressing the biggest health and safety concern in the market, but it's not you know, it's not sufficient by itself. You need to be doing more than what we're doing. Of the clients who you've onboarded, have you integrated that technology with your platform? Uh, so that that's in process. We have partnerships with uh, big, um, building controls companies like Honeywell and Johnson Controls. We also work with sensor companies. I think that uh, our data, so we provide our data aside from just giving the, the building the mark or the sticker. They want to know, the, they want the performance data and we have a software platform that provides that to them, but they want to feed the beast too. You know, they want one system that's capturing all of this and so that's where we're kind of APIing the data and making it part of an integrated system. So. Um, As you mentioned at the outset, getting employees back into the office and one of the major concerns is indoor air quality. Have you thought about maybe employees monitoring it themselves by way of having an app so that they can check on a regular basis what the indoor quality is? Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting things happening uh, in that respect, ranging from visual uh, dashboards that some companies are putting up, and I know Carrier and others are taking that sort of approach, um, to, like you said, being able to uh, have an app that's tracking to sensor data and that's publicly accessible. And outside of the corporate world, it's interesting in that uh, Boston Public Schools has ad adopted an approach where they have sensors throughout many schools within the district, and then anyone can go online uh, and see the, the data, whether it's you're a parent and you want to see your school or a teacher. I don't know if that's accessible by app. I, you know, understandably, there's some hesitation from owners and operators of buildings of how transparent do they want to be. And so you have to navigate that um, that whole issue. But in some cases, many of those owners are leaning into this because there's only so much time you can either you're a corporate owner occupier and you want people back and you got to get them back somehow or you're a landlord and you're, uh, you're, you're, you're going to a point where your building is going to become vacant and you need to get people in there. And so what's going to sell the building and have it outcompete others? And air quality is starting to come into that. It's starting to come into the, the lexicon of the broker community to differentiate on this. Um, but in terms of more of these real-time things, I'll, I will be personally interested to see how comfortable real estate is going to be to put that information out there. So, all right. I guess I'm getting kicked out here. Thanks so much. <laughs>